Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. You're hopefully listening to me, your host Jack Benyon, and my illustrious co-host J.R. Hildebrand, although technical difficulties have delayed the start of this podcast for quite some time. So we're both kind of in a state of, uh, I don't know, delirium uh, at this point of time, wondering whether this podcast is ever going to float into the airwaves. How are you doing, J.R.? you well? I'm good, man. Just uh, getting used to it's frozen outside and... My screen's freezing up constantly as well, so it's uh, it's been a good one so far. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like the racing season has officially been launched with the Daytona 500, even if it's not quite uh, IndyCar uh, to start this podcast? At least it's uh, it's kind of like the Daytona 24 Hours and the Daytona 500. It starts to, at least for me, it starts to get the, the juices flowing a little bit and get me a little bit excited about the season coming up. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you got the 24-hour, the Clash, Bathurst, the 500. You know, it's definitely, it, it feels feels like things are rolling. The day, they t- Like you said, though, I think the, I guess within, in North America and kind of the, uh, you know, road racing side, the 24-hour definitely feels like, feels like the start of the year. But even on, on that front, there's such a big gap between Daytona, you know, the 24 and kind of anything else. But once Daytona, once the 500 rolls around, things get kicked off. So. Um, we don't have to. We don't have to talk about Daytona. We could. We could talk about NASCAR another time. But yeah, <laughs> definitely excited. Ex- excited to get things rolling. I feel like you have to be a a pretty hardcore IMSA or Daytona twenty four hour fan to kind of like stay up and watch the whole thing. But if you're a more general motorsport fan, then that's kind of like a nice soft launch into the season. A few storylines and some interesting stuff going on for you to pay attention to, and then. Obviously, NASCAR has the preliminaries, but then the 500 is the big one. And for me, that really feels like where you have to really start paying attention to motorsport. And obviously, we're kicking off St. Petersburg this weekend, which we're going to talk about a lot on this podcast. We've got two very special guests for you. We've got Marcus Armstrong, who are expecting big things from at Chip Ganassi Racing. He's doing the road and street courses, so he'll kick off the season in St. Pete this weekend for his IndyCar debut. And we also have Simon Paggio of My Shank Racing, who I think was quite happy with his uh, street course pace over the course of last season. There's definitely been some work behind the scenes for my shank to do, having expanded to to two cars last season and with Simon coming into the team from, from Penske. So definitely um, not growing pains necessarily, but just learning and, and development, adaptation, all that kind of good stuff, which he is going to tell us about in just a minute. So without further ado, your 2019 Indy 500 winner, Simon Pagano is coming up next. Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast, Simon Pagano. I'm very sorry that this is your first time appearing on the podcast, given that this is our, I think this is actually our 70th episode. So uh, big apologies on our side for not having you on before now, but uh, I hope you're you're well. Have you had a nice off season and, and feel rested and ready for the season now? 
I'm going to hold that against you, Jack, and uh, <laughs> be sure there will be some repercussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, the off-season's been really good. Um, you know, I, I feel I feel awesome. Um, we've worked, I, I don't want to say hard because hard is a bad word, but we've worked well, uh, studiously, um, where, whether it was the race team on the IndyCar side, in conjunction with uh, the uh, sports car program as well has been really, that momentum has been helping the entire organization. And um, yeah, we, we sat down right after Laguna last year and we reviewed, you know, what we could do better as a team, what needs to improve on the car, what needs to improve with the drivers, uh, strategy, uh, tire management and all that kind of stuff. And then we put together a program of how we were going to go about it. And I must say, of all the teams I've worked with in the past, um, MyShank Racing is definitely uh, the type of team, the type of team that just gets it go and gets it done. Um, and uh, I would say, out of all the things that we we wrote down, is we've I would say covered almost three quarter of it. So it's it's a really good winter. On my side of things, I've worked um, diligently on the fitness side, mental side, um, trying to find little edges, you know, a little bit more every year. And I must say. This is probably uh, it's been the most um, uh, productive off season I've had in a long time. It's like a, I guess it's like cycling, marginal gains. You're always looking for that tiny little thing that can change things for you because there's n- there's never any one thing you can go and do that just fixes everything, is there? That would be nice. <laughs> it's a lot of, um, and it's the same with the race car. But it's funny, you know. I was talking to my engineer yesterday. We're doing a simulator simulator session in in Indianapolis, and. Uh, you know, I'm doing things with my hydration. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, it's it's about the little things. You know, it's just like you're tuning the race car the best you can. And I said, I'm trying to tune up my body the best I can. Yeah, awesome. I guess um, one of the, the big things kind of reflecting on last season was tire wear and trying to, you know, get the maximum out of that. And I know that was a big target for you at Thermal. So how, how are you kind of sitting after Thermal now going into the season? How are you feeling about the kind of gains you've made because I know Thermal is not the most representative track in terms of what we're going to go to later in the year and maybe one corner is or one sector is representative of different tracks but the whole lap is obviously different so I imagine it's yeah. a little bit difficult to know exactly how you're going to be going into the into the season but do you feel like you've made some gains there from from what you've seen? Yeah I actually thought it was a great test I thought the track was a good track for testing with a little bit of everything you know technical corners uh, triple right-hander uh, in second gear for one and long, 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 fast corners, chicanes, a bit like Barber. So it's a little bit of everything. Obviously, uh, we were surprised the tire wear wasn't so bad. Uh, we were expecting a tarmac that was more abrasive. Um, so that helped us because we were able to do uh, quite a few laps within a stint and understand a bit better what we need to do on the tire energy side of things. Uh, so tire energy is our, actually our big word right now, big topic. Um, we have, I can't say that we've fixed everything because it would be lying, but I would say that again there, we've managed to bring little things at a time and the sum of all these things, I think will help. Uh, I don't think we have a hundred percent solved the issue, but we, We've definitely uh, made some improvement in awareness as well. So that's um, that's a big step forward. Um, and, and the fact that I'm aware of it too, I will probably drive a little bit different in the races and, and help that, um, that feature. Yeah. 
I know the team's been working really hard in the off season and things like uh, execution on race weekends and, and pit stops especially has been a big focus of the off season. You have a pit stop coach now uh, helping your guys out and, and trying to push everything on that side as well. So it's not just you refining every part of yourself and, and the car setups. Obviously the team's working really hard in the background as well. I guess you're the kind of, you're, I guess some teams refer to their drivers as quarterbacks in that sense. You're, you're the kind of the, the leader of the group in a way, at least the, the leader that everybody sees I guess you're the you're, you know you're Simon Pagano the driver of that car and you're the kind of leader of that team in that sense maybe not the team boss but you're you're the focal point and uh, I guess I'm quite interested in that from your perspective because I, I don't think uh, Mike Shank made any secret of the fact that he was happy to have you on board for your technical knowledge as well as um, your your driving talent as well and I know that's something you you really love is getting into those really fine details of of how the car works and, and how the setup works so how has it been kind of taking on that maybe a little bit maybe not maybe it's not fair to say more of a leadership role from what you were doing at Penske but it's definitely a different task because the team's in a different position you're obviously building from a different place and you can bring a lot of the knowledge that maybe they were lacking or or can help with so tell us a little bit about going into the kind of second year now how that that role has been for you and and how you've seen that evolve over over that period well I tell you uh fascinating is the word the word <laughs> this season because I was able to be fully involved. Um, you know, at times I was a little worried that my input was too much and that uh, I was going to uh, offend some. <laughs> and actually it was quite the opposite, you know, quite the opposite. And um, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the relationship because I'm also open on, you know, what can I do better? Just tell me and I will. Um, and I feel the same. The team is actually reacting the exact same way. So, you know, Mike, obviously, and Adam Rovazzini is a big part of it. Jeff Schaffner, they, they went into this program for the pit stops. Um, you know, I was involved in that too, and, and, and Elio was as well. And um, that was super interesting to see how, how far they wanted to push it. And that was just one element. I mean, we have so many departments we had to work on this winter. Process being the big word, um, trying to improve that, uh, making it more efficient in every decisions that we make whether it's a decision on the timing stand during a race or a decision uh, during the off-season that's going to have an impact five, five months down the road. So uh, super, super uh, fun for me. Uh, you know, I've had many conversations with my wife coming back home uh, about my trips to Ohio. Uh, in fact, um, you know, obviously making sure that, you know, I managed my message the right way. Um, and, and I'm, it's been awesome. Definitely very different task than what I was at Penske. Like you said, because they didn't need that kind of input as much. Um, but definitely we've, um, we've, we've, we've definitely pushed it much, much further than we were last year. Uh, and I think it's going to be a big step forward for us. The potential is there. Um, now it's a question of showing it in results. And I'm, I'm really eager um, to show results because of all the work we've done in the background so um, so we'll see if we can do that I definitely feel like we can now we, we're going to need a bit of luck on our side too yeah we've spoken about some of the areas where you know maybe the team wants to improve in in the off season uh, I guess how do you feel where where are you at with the car because obviously you have a you know like any driver you have a style that you prefer to drive with and and one that suits you best and it's it's one that helps you get the maximum out of the car and come into a new team Obviously, all the teams have different setup philosophies. Um, it's never easy to come in and just tweak one small thing on the car because that can often impact, 
you know, all sorts of different areas on the car as well. So we can see drivers move to different teams and really struggle to adapt because the it, it takes a while to to get the car into a into a window that's kind of you know suits that driver. So how, how do you feel your adaptation has gone to to my shank and, and how comfortable are you entering this season with how you sort of drive the car now? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question. I you know it's interesting because the my performance review would say has shifted. Um, and a lot of it is due to the car and how the car is behaving. Um, I would say on street course, I feel extremely confident. I think, you know, of all the street course, we should be able to at least be on the podium several times and uh, hopefully, you know, grab a win there, here and there. I think, you know, tracks like Long Beach, Toronto, even Nashville, it's kind of my specialty and the car is really good at those tracks. Um, and what, we need to, what needs to be understood is the tire brought by Firestone is different on a street course versus a road course and a normal. So that tire suits our package really well. Uh, road course, this is where we had to do a lot of work. And I feel like in at thermal, we, um, we made a, a step forward. But like you said, we tried things that actually didn't work at all. And we thought it was going to work. So we had to revert back, start from fresh again. Um, mm. We made improvement there. And then the, one of the biggest ones was obviously short oval. Um, unfortunately, I tell you, Jack, we're doing two days, two days of testing on one track before the season start. Everything else is on simulator. Yeah. Everything else is simulation program. Everything else is wind tunnel. Uh, the driver, I mean, I spend, like my simulator is right here. I spend so much time here on my simulator. And yet you hit the track and it's different. So, yeah. you know, I wish we were testing more on track and I think it would really help. But um the regulations are what they are. Uh, it makes it very, very difficult to tweak. Um, and today is more about adapting um, during a race weekend. Yeah. It's fascinating with IndyCar specifically, isn't it? Because there are obviously other spec chassis series out there, but a lot of them don't offer as many customization options as, as IndyCar would. So you guys have got your, you know, you've got the damper development programs and that sort of thing. And that obviously massively impacts the, the performance of the car where, maybe other spec chassis series are just kind of making small tweaks to the setup and there's not, you know, a whole lot that they can do. You've obviously got a spec chassis, but with so many different options to impact how that car works, it must be, um, you know, you're quite often maybe going down rabbit warrens and trying to work out, you know, how do you get back and, and stuff like that. It must be really tricky for you guys sometimes. It's super tricky. I mean, the biggest thing, like you said, the damper development uh, for, for everyone to understand is it's fully open. So you can mm. actually make your own shocks, right? Yeah. Um, from zero, and we have a system in there that's called the inertance. Inertance. Uh, so it's a it's a bit like the mass damper that we saw in the Renault uh, back yeah. in 2006 area, uh, yeah. Yeah, era. Sorry. So, but it's inside the shock, and it works counter counter with the with the damper itself. It, it's incredible technology uh, that provides so much grip, and it works well. Uh, takes care of the tires, uh, but it has a different feel for the driver. So it's um, it's something that, that it's a very, very complicated system and uh, it's fully open. So that means we, we're putting a lot of development in that. So, um, you know, jumping from the Penske car to the Myershank car, if I was blinded, I, I couldn't have told, I couldn't have said it was two Indy cars. So <laughs> they're that different. It's crazy. And yet it's a spec series. And like you said, if we didn't have dampers, it would be quite simple. But uh that makes our life quite uh, quite complicated, but uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. 
especially when you don't get to test so much. Uh, I could imagine yeah. a few a few <laughs> difficult days there. I, I guess you mentioned about plus and minus. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I guess um, what's your level of uh, excitement, expectation, even pressure, maybe going into St. Pete now because it's quite clear that street courses are, are your, you know, the area where your team is you know, should get the most points this year and, and should have your, your best results. Um, obviously, that does put a little bit of weight on you going into the that being the first race of the season and being the first uh, race just just so happens that it's a street course. So uh, I guess, how are you feeling going into that one? And, uh, you know, I think the the performance last year on your debut with the team was was good and I'm pretty sure you were, you know, you're quite pleased with generally how that weekend had, had gone. Um, what, you know, what are you expecting going into St. Pete? Are you expecting to go in there and fight for a podium and, and the win or is it a bit more difficult than that? It's, uh, you know, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to put goals um, like that. I hate, I hate looking at result-driven goals because there are things you can't control, right? Like last yeah. year we a few things we couldn't control in the race. Qualifying, qualified six. Um, I believe we should be able to replicate or do better in qualifying this year. And in the race, you know, obviously we want to be in the top six as well uh, to start building on the championship. It's no secret my number one goal is Indy this year, but uh, I certainly want to do better in the championship and, and try to bring the team to the top seven in the end would be would be my goal. So, uh, you know, I want to I want to try to grab, grab a win this year. One or two win would be would be amazing. Um, so that's my goal. You know, we'll see if it happens in St. Pete somewhere else. I think, like I said, we have the potential. I feel very excited. I don't, I was we were having this conversation with my wife. I was like, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm really ready this year. It's like, let's go. Uh, <laughs> so I don't feel much pressure because I know that I trained really well. My body's ready. My mind is ready. Um, and I, I've basically studied everything. So let's go. Um, at this point, just waiting for next uh, next Friday, see what we got. And um, the biggest pressure comes from managing the weekend the best we can. Uh, between practice one, practice two, you know, uh, we have a few different rules this year. Uh, we have one more set of red tires that's going to change a little bit the game. Um, so you're thinking about these things, uh, and that's where most of the pressure comes from, from knowing that we'll have to make very, very important decisions just like that. So, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm, I'm super excited. I think we got something really good going and um, I, I, I'm just excited about the opportunity that I could give back to my mechanics and the team and good, with good results. Yeah. You mentioned Indy. How, how do you, um, how do you kind of approach that this season? And uh, I guess I'm kind of interested in last season as well with, um, obviously there was a lot of t- attention on, on Helio and, you know, rightly so is, you know, the potential to, well, yeah, exactly. But to, <laughs> yeah, for anything, <laughs> but to, to potentially go out and have the opportunity to, to break a record at Speedway is always a, a massive thing, isn't it? You know, uh, you know that more than, more than anybody being a winner there and understanding the traditions of the event and, and what it means to win it, you know, better than anyone or, or better than at least any of the other people who've, who've won the race. But uh, I guess, it's not like you. I guess you don't feel overshadowed by Helio in that sense, but um, it must have been weird, like going into the event being one of the most recent winners and and the last Penske driver to win the event, and yet you know there's a lot of attention on Helio there and about what what kind of what he's doing. So uh, I guess it's kind of a, a, a an unusual balance in that sense between the two of you. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, uh, we are the only team with five five Indy five hundred wins. Um, <laughs> 
which brings uh, you know a lot of attention from our partners, yeah. fans, um, and that's great to see the team grow that way. So you know, I feel proud. I feel really proud that we are we're able to bring that kind of reputation to this team. And the goal for us is to show that um, this is going to be a team to be reckoned with in the future. Uh, so we're, we're working diligently with that, with Elio. Uh, obviously, last year we finished seventh and eighth, which I thought was an awesome performance. Uh, we lacked speed last year for qualifying, and our draw was really unlucky. Uh, you know, we got our run in the, the heat of the day, but the car was actually very good. Hmm. So, um, you know, this year... Uh, let's let's hope we have a good draw and, and then we can really show the speed of our cars. And uh, from there, we know we can race. And I have no doubt that, you know, we should be in the game. Um, it's a track that I love. It's a track that I'm very comfortable at. Same for Elio. So really, it's, I look at it as a team effort, you know, and I don't have, I don't have any, I'm not envious of Elio. I'm, I'm very grateful that I've won Indy once. Um, mm. I want to win twice. And honestly, I want Elio to win five times as well, uh, just because it's so cool what he's doing. And, uh, you know, if he wins a fifth time, then our generation will be rem remembered forever. Uh, so he's helping all the drivers that are running against him right now. Um, obviously, if he's second he, and I'm first, he's, se he's staying second. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's a cool story. Um, it, it attracts a lot of pe lot of eyes toward IndyCar and, you know, uh, we should be very thankful that we have someone of that level right now in the series. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought about it in the context of the impact that he's having on everybody else as well as himself. Um, that's It's a really interesting kind of way to think about it and something I hadn't thought of before. Uh, I guess earlier I'd asked you about uh, the tyres at, at Thermal and, and how you'd uh, kind of found those with with your team, but I believe you did some uh, burning of some other tyres in the Honda Indy truck that I have to ask you about. Um, if J.R. Hildebrand was here with me now, he'd definitely be, he would have made that at the first question of the podcast was how was it to drive this thing? Because for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what this is, it's basically a, a 2017 Honda Ridgeline pickup with a, a current IndyCar engine in it. So Simon, take it away. What was that like to drive? It must have been a, it must have been a lot of fun. <laughs> well, yeah, first of all, obviously, you know, um, it, it, this is a, a Hoonigan project with with uh, on the performance development and um, you know big thoughts to Ken, Ken Block obviously it was one of his dream um, so it was a huge honor to get to drive um, the the Hoonigan truck the Indy Hoonigan truck we call it uh, <laughs> it's basically the cabin of a Ridgeline um, the front end is a NSX uh, the the actual road car. And the back end is is a uh, is the actual IndyCar engine, super low to the ground with a huge rear wing on the back. <laughs> um, the the twist is it's fitted with street tires. Okay, so one might <laughs> wonder why that is, and uh, I realize after a few corners there's a reason, and it's probably to make as much smoke as you can, because yeah. I was wheel spinning all the way to fifth gear, and. Uh, <laughs> It was amazing. It's got so much power. And, and, you know, for me, it allowed me to realize how much power is currently uh, producing an IndyCar. Yeah. I think yeah. that engine in a different chassis and a bit more sound uh, in a different cabin, being able to bring someone next to me was the coolest experience ever. But that truck is nuts. I mean, yeah. like I said, burnouts everywhere you go, every time you touch the throttle. Uh, it's a bit of a handful, um, and and that was the goal. Actually, it was made made to be a handful, and, and it definitely is. Uh, 
it's as cool to drive as it looks, honestly. Yeah. It's so nice that, uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of change and I think, you know, every championship is going through, you know, not necessarily a crisis, but uh, thinking about how they become uh, more suitable for manufacturers and, and just just working out what the roadmap of the future of even just automotive, trying to predict what automotive is going to do and, and kind of reflect that in a motorsport championship is a basically an impossible task or, or a very difficult one. And obviously motorsport's always changing, but it's so nice sometimes when we can go back to some of these things, some of these projects that just remind people why motorsport is so fun. And that was something that Ken was so good at, was just stripping everything back to the basics and just yeah. a lot of power, something with road tyres and go and spin it around a track for some fun and it really it does it can inspire people and it's really cool to see yeah it was awesome and awesome to be part of it quite frankly i'd love to do more uh it made me want to create projects like that because i've got plenty of ideas <laughs> but, uh, yeah maybe uh you know i think he started something special um you know we see travis pastrana doing a little bit of it so um hopefully it carries on because he started a, a legacy that uh, uh, attracts another demographic to racing as well and i think i think that's what uh, the sport needs yeah i know you've definitely got some ideas because we heard you talking about potentially bit, wanting to be a, a kind of track manager or a track owner in the future as well during the uh, thermal yeah. test you were asked about this yeah i mean you know the thermal track is actually it's the dream place uh, for mm -hmm. a guy like me it's disney world uh for yeah. Cars for, for car enthusiasts, um, you know, obviously it's it's a huge amount of money to create a place like that. And um, Tim Rogers is doing an amazing job running it. But if you think about it, like if uh, if you could make something like that uh, with, um, you know, maximum access and um, VIP as well, like it, like it is right now, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And the future of road cars, uh, you know, I'm sure people with passion, uh, for cars, we want to go on the racetrack to hear the engine revs uh, and maybe drive electric cars that are really fast on, on the track. But obviously, streets is made to go from point A to B, not to, um, not to race. So we need to find a place to go and have fun with cars. Simon, thanks so much. Sorry it took us so long to get you on the podcast. And I promise I'll make sure... I'll, I'll I'll make sure that J.R. Hildebrand turns up next time as well. He's obviously too lazy to, to bother gracing us with his presence, but uh, hopefully next time he'll come back. But best of luck with St. Pete. We hope it goes well, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon after. Thank you, Jack. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. 
It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and Gold Fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. All right, Joe, it's always fun to talk to Simon. He's very technically minded. I think that was one of the reasons why Mike Shank wanted to take him on. He's really gets involved in the, then not necessarily engineering the car per se, but in the engineering aspects of the car and all of that nice, juicy behind the scenes stuff that some drivers rightfully stay out of because they're not uh, experts in it or or don't you know don't want to uh, get in the engineer's way so to speak but Simon's usually a, a very good person for a team to have to kind of lead that development direction and and that sort of thing I guess it's a big year for them JR because I feel like at least for me anyway it kind of gave them a bit of a mulligan for 2022 given that they'd expanded to to the two cars obviously Helio big story looking for the you know another Indy 500 win but Simon definitely feels like the one who you know, he's going to lead the charge fighting for a championship or or fighting for top fives and and top tens. So uh, I guess, what's your level of expectation from from Simon and that team this year? Do you think they should be regularly in the top 10 now? It's a difficult thing to say in IndyCar because the even the big three teams have got like 12, 13 cars. So even to get into the top 10, you've got to beat, you know, all of the best teams in IndyCar. So it's it's no mean feat, but I guess that's got to be the aim for, for most of the teams that are just outside that kind of top three bracket is to be looking at the top 10. Yeah, I guess my my general feeling because of their technical relationship with Andretti Autosport is, you know, I sort of tie my expectations, I guess, of the Meyer Shank cars and Simon in particular, you know, just as as who seems like he's still he's still definitely in his prime. We we know that Elio can bring the pace at a lot of places, but has been a little bit more. I, I guess my my expectation of him is less than Simon on just like an average qualifying, you know, uh, practice qualifying race kind of situation that this this past year it was hard to really know where Meyer Shank was at because it was really hard to know where Andretti Autosport was at. And so when you figure that those two teams are sort of joined at the hip in terms of what the engineering program looks like even even a lot of I mean I think even a lot of the ways that they prep the cars for different types of tracks and and that kind of stuff it, it wasn't it certainly wasn't as if Simon in particular was way off of the Andretti guys. They were just all as a group kind of all over the place weekend to weekend. And there was no, there was no clear thread between how they were making progress, what they were making progress doing, where they were making progress, any of that, any of that. So I think that, you know, certainly from what we've seen in the preseason this year is that Andretti has made, made a step. They've put some effort into fixing some of the things that they deemed to be worthy of putting time and effort into you know it's it's hard to judge it outside of like taking the first half of the season really because there's a lot of it's a it's it's a pretty mixed bag in terms of what you experience in the IndyCar season over the first just handful of races you need a little bit of a bigger sample size to look at it but 
I guess my expectation is that if it if it seems like that package has improved and that the Andretti package basically is capable of fighting with Penske and Ganassi on a regular basis and and will throw Arrow McLaren in that mix as well, then my expectation is that Simon's going to be one of those drivers that's in the top 10, you know, taking that fight to the rest of those teams. So I think that that's kind of generally my point of view here. I definitely don't think that he's he's not over the hill. He's not lost any he's not lost anything in terms of his I think commitment and determination. To your point, he's going from Penske to Meyer Shank. It's just a different organization. It's a different set of engineers. It's 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 Chevy to Honda. Um you know there's a lot to get used to that it, with the competitiveness of the series right now you're not absolutely firing on all cylinders as a group. It's just, you know, you're going to be missing a little bit. And we saw that with with a bunch of guys that we had that we kind of expected. Grosjean comes to mind as the other one that, I don't know, we just sort of expected him going from Coin to Andretti that that would just be a step up in performance. And ultimately, it kind of wasn't. And so, I think we'll give, we'll give all of those guys a year here to uh, allow them a little more time within their organizations to to find their feet and um you know i i think simon simon definitely has what it takes to be back in the mix this year if they can if they can get it dialed for him you know we know we know from his time at penske that he was best when everything was when when he was really getting he, he was focused on getting what he really wanted out of the car when he and ben bretzman could get him what he was looking for he was as formidable as anybody else he was just as good or better than than joseph or will um, you know, I think you, you got to figure that's going to take him a little bit of time to to figure that out in a new squad. So it'll be interesting to see where he, where that all shakes out. Definitely, you, you're definitely right there. And uh, Simon has kind of outwardly talked about his style and needing a car to be a certain way for him to get the speed out of it. Quite similar to what we've kind of read about Roman Grosjean in in this off season and and his ad- adaptation to the the Andretti car and that being a bit more difficult. Um, just because it, it wasn't to his suit, you know, it wasn't suited to his style as he as he liked it. So that's a big thing for for Simon. But you know, he's a serious champion and an Indy 500 winner. So I think the taking the team element out of it, the expectation is he's got to be in the top ten in the points, and he's got to be you know pushing a bit further in there as well. So that's what we'll be watching for this season. Not to age Simon too much, but someone very much at the opposite end of their career, Marcus Armstrong, will be making his debut, as we alluded to at the top of the show. I believe he's the first person making his debut at St. Pete for Ganassi since Felix Rosenquist. And he was third in qualifying and finished fourth in the race in, in that event. So kind of, I guess, in that when you put it in that context, big expectations for, for Marcus coming in. Um, obviously, Felix at a... I guess a more experienced driver at that point, done a lot more championships and and raced more years than than Marcus when when he came into IndyCar. So maybe not a, quite a fair comparison as to where they're at in in terms of their career. But Marcus is a very fast young driver who feels like he has a lot to prove and has really settled in well at Ganassi and and really enjoyed um, really enjoyed getting to know his his teammates and and looking at the adaptation and and how they go through the data with with his teammates as well. So without further ado, we'll head over and speak to Marcus Armstrong. Hello and welcome for your first appearance to the Race IndyCar podcast, Marcus Armstrong. We've had to uh, raid the budget of the Race IndyCar podcast to get you on because you're an exclusive podcast man. You've got your own podcast and that's the only podcast that you do apart from this one. So thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about that podcast you've got. Yeah, let's jump straight in then. Uh, (laughs) Well, I was actually, let's start 
before. I was uh, I was sitting at a cafe in Miami just before my Sebring test, and I came across this podcast, the race, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll I'll give it a go. I'll give it a shot because usually I find it really hard to listen to racing podcasts, uh, especially F1 podcasts. Just I don't know why, but I just find it so difficult to hear other people's opinions on it and, (laughs) you know, when they don't know the full story. But I started listening to yours and I was like, this is actually really good. And you and JR have a really good chemistry. So I actually listened to a few episodes, which is really unusual for for me in a racing podcast. So I obviously messaged you. I was like, really well done. (laughs) And, um, well, here I am, mate. So yeah, I haven't been on a podcast other than my own for quite a while now. Yeah, tell us about your own podcast because it's a little bit offbeat compared to what people might be used to listening to. So it's definitely something they should learn a bit more and check out. Yes. So I have my own podcast called Screaming Meals. And more recently, we've just been doing Clem's Wine Corner, which is um, my friend <laughs> Clem Novelak, who races an F2. Um, him, James Blair and I do... Uh, sort of a wine tasting slash uh, nonsense talking is the politically correct way to say it. <laughs> and um, we we actually have a rule where we don't speak about racing at all. So on the Clams Wine Corner, um, it's sort of a it's it's almost a, a bad copy of the Horaki Big Show, which is our favourite New Zealand uh, radio show. Tremendous, by the way. You've got to give it a listen. Best content you'll ever find. I've heard of it, actually. I've just never listened to it. Yeah, it's tremendous. Like, terribly sarcastic and, like, you know, probably not everyone's taste, but we love it. So, we sort of copied that a wee bit. (laughs) And Screaming Meals is a bit the opposite. We talk about racing. We get to know other drivers. Obviously, Ilot's been on the show with us. Um, A few other uh, big names in F2. And it's sort of just a bit of a bro down with my mates, really, because... Um, well, generally we find it quite tedious to speak to, um, well, whenever we do interviews, we have to do it a certain way. And certainly in Ferrari, we were taught to, to say nothing a million different ways. So, <laughs> um, we, we were like, yeah, why not? Let's just do our own thing and we can just sort of have fun with it and own the narrative. So that's exactly what we did. And, um, I mean, our audience is actually like no word of a lie, ninety five percent females, um, and that's that's real statistics here <laughs> from YouTube. Um, but for the most part, uh, people seem to like it. So yeah, why not? Awesome. Well, let's crack into a bit of that racing talk. Uh, I know it's not necessarily what you do on your podcast, but it's definitely what we do on ours. So to introduce you a bit to listeners, you're obviously coming over to race for, for Chip Ganassi this year with the, the Broden Street courses coming from from F2. So I guess a lot of the drivers that come over from F2 and come over from maybe like more European-based series have maybe got onto IndyCar in the last few years as it's become maybe a little bit more popular in, in kind of recent times. But you're kind of the outlier in that situation because you're a Kiwi and you've obviously watched IndyCar for a long time. So tell us a little bit about how you got into it and you're kind of, I guess you have a little bit of a connection to, to Scott Dixon as well. Yeah, I'm, obviously I'm a Kiwi. I've been watching IndyCar since I was a young lad, um, mainly because of Scott really, because I mean... Um, everyone everyone knows it now, but he's pretty good. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch him 
on TV when I was a young lad. And so I've always sort of liked IndyCar and I've always enjoyed watching it because it's very close and entertaining and the cars are look difficult to drive on TV. Um, you're always fighting it and driving the wheels off of it. Um, so it's very attractive from that point of view. And all through my casting career, I've always thought it was just so interesting, um, especially when F1 was sort of changing to that hybrid era. Um, I became slightly less attracted to it, sort of 14, 15. And that was when, you know, Scott again was doing really well. And obviously I, I continued on the European routes, but always had an eye on IndyCar, no matter what, keeping an eye on Scott's results in particular. And I think it would have been probably 20, probably at the end of 2018, uh, going into 2019, I was like, yeah, um, I mean, that is, it's one of the coolest championships in the world. And I do want to go there at some point. I even remember having the conversation with Callum one time. I was like, man, I reckon IndyCar is the place to go. And um, at the time, him and I were sort of like, yeah, but we're, we're this close to F1, you know. Um, and then he obviously went uh, by surprise, really, to me. So, and then I followed me, followed him a year later. So, I mean, it's just, um, it's one of those things where I've always wanted to be here. And for me, it's the coolest championship outside of F1, hands down, Um Obviously, F1 has big manufacturer backing and, and travels the world, which is a, is a positive. But from a racing, sporting size, there's nothing cooler than IndyCar. Just the way you need to drive it so hard. It's really attractive for, for young F2 guys like myself. Awesome. I guess we should ask you a bit about the test because we've recently had the, the test at Thermal and you were comfortably the the top rookie there which won't be a surprise to anyone listening uh, based on on this year's rookie crop but you were definitely sort of on the pace of your teammates as well which is always a good sign when you come in and you're you know around about Scott Dixon, Marcus Ericsson and, and Alex Pillow so where where do you kind of sit now after that test I know it's really important not to read too much into into tests and especially ones at tracks where you're not going to race at this year and you don't want to get too caught up in that but has it given you maybe a feeling of, of more confidence based on the fact that you've clearly, you know, taken to it as quickly as you would have hoped. And, and that gives you a little bit of positivity kind of going into the season. There's certainly a few things to the test at Thermal because obviously the track is completely irrelevant to what we're going to experience during the championship. So I've heard uh, anyway, that's what everyone seems to be saying. <laughs> um, so I'll take their word for it, but it's, it's also, it's a new track for everybody. So in that regard, it was, you know, probably to my advantage a little bit. And it's also quite a European-style track, very smooth and um, a high-speed flowing last sector. And I would say it's it was a very similar track to what you'd you'd have in, in like, Spain or something. Um, even the grip level felt similar to what you'd have in Spain. So, like, a Navarro or... Um, you know, all those winter winter track testing places that we'd go, you know. So I was quite at home, let's say, uh, with that style track. And I think the positive thing was that I just felt comfortable in it immediately. Um, it's obviously testing so restricted nowadays in anything you do. Um, but it's been 
it's been a few years where I've jumped in a car and just felt straight at home with the way it moves and the way it feels, um, which I thought was the main positive thing because confidence is everything, especially with a car like this, you know. So for me, that was the main positive, jumping in and, and being able to to feel it and drive it near the limit straight away, sort of at around Scott's pace. And um, and I think as well, this this Ganassi car is is very very easy to feel for whatever reason. I can it's it's very predictable, um, <laughs> which is quite the opposite to what I've been experiencing in F two. So um, you almost see it sliding before it slides, if that makes sense. So that projects confidence mm. and i would say that's my main the main positive coming out of that test um irrelevant of the results it was just it gave me a good feeling and i sort of felt racy you know like i, I didn't need to drive perfectly to be there or thereabouts which um that's good and obviously i did the test at sebring last week which is which was positive as well and that's a more relevant circuit um but yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a learning progress. You know, it's it's so cool to be able to compare myself against very accomplished guys. It's obviously a it's a fairly accomplished lineup if you actually <laughs> sit back and look at it. You know, like Scott, he's won a few. Alex has won one, and the other Marcus has won an Indy five hundred. So I'm very very fortunate. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess how do you? I remember at the thermal test you were you were put on the spot a little bit about looking at the data and how you kind of compared to your to your teammates. And I think you said you you felt most similar to, to Alex Pillow in terms of what you'd seen, in terms of like style. And um, obviously you'd only really had two days at that point. And I imagine you hadn't gone too far into the data at that stage. But I, I guess, do you feel like seeing what Alex has been able to do, obviously he had the year in Japan, but he's obviously come from a, a similar background to you in terms of where he's come from and been able to come into Ganassi and make a, an impression really quickly, obviously. He won his uh, he won his championship in his first year with the team. So no one's obviously expecting you to do that because you're not doing the full season. But does it give you you know seeing that kind of that kind of transition happen so recently give you a little bit of confidence as well? Looking at that, well, Alex is very talented. Obviously, like he's I can see from his onboard and data that he's very he's very smooth, but he's he always drives to the limit and he's very consistent as well. He doesn't. Have good session and a bad session he's always good which um i knew already back in fia f3 i remember when he was in high tech and um i don't think they had the best package that year and winter testing he was just like untouchable and then uh, during the season we obviously took the fuel out and we were all right but like i remember thinking this guy palu he's like always there <laughs> and um so yeah, looking at his data, I remember even saying to my dad before I came over, I was like, one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing is how good Alex is. You know, what does he do? And he he certainly didn't disappoint. Just <laughs> very, um, yeah, also very methodical. I feel like he's very good with the car setup as well. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And uh, Scott, obviously, is seems like an engineer in a driver's body. <laughs> Um, which is quite cool to see. And it's unusual for me, obviously, because I've been with usually teammates who are quite young uh, or my own age, let's say. Mm -hmm. And and it's also 
in Europe, we don't really have the the track time nor the tires to be able to really delve into car setup as much as what we're doing here. And Scott is very in tune with what he wants. And um, it's very impressive to listen to him in a debrief. And now I'm, I feel very fortunate to be able to just learn from him and understand what he wants from the car. And even aside from that, from a driving point of view, he's very open to helping me, which is, which is another factor that I'm um, very grateful for. You have um, Tell us a story about his visor. Didn't you, um, you, did you win his visor or you bought it in a charity competition or something back home? Yeah. I mean, this was, we're talking oh, 11 years ago, probably. Maybe Careful. You're going to make Scott feel old. Be very careful how many years you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it may have been more than that, honestly. It probably was because I was, I would have been in year five at school, so um, very young. And my local car track was, I don't know, auctioning off some kiss of Scots or something. It was like a charity event. And my mum went and got one of his visors. Uh, I remember it was like, I had the Target sticker on the top and he'd signed it and I mean, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I still do. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure, for, well, it's somewhere in my house in New Zealand, but uh, I don't, I'm not sure I want to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you've been, you've been kind of, I guess you've been away and back to New Zealand a lot in your life, I guess, as a, as a driver. And I suppose it kind of is and isn't a big move for you to, to move to the States because you're, I guess you're so used to traveling and it's just part of, you know, what you guys are used to and, and what you do, but how, how has that transition been for you so far? I know sometimes moving can be difficult. You don't always find the right place to start with and, and things can be, you know, difficult when you're moving so many, you know, miles across the earth. So how has your initial kind of adaptation to the States been and are you enjoying your time there so far? Honestly, it's been amazing. The, they've been so open to me and welcoming. Um, I mean, Obviously, I, I moved from New Zealand when I was very young. I think I was 13 when I moved over to live with Ollie Oaks in, in the UK and then just sort of went between there and Brescia, the Tony Kart factory. And then I moved to Italy to live near the Ferrari factory uh, for between 2017 and 2021, so quite a while. And, I mean, the culture here is is very, like, sociable so there's a social culture and people are very welcoming and i would say just very easy to get along with people which is which is really nice and i've i don't think i've had one one day that i haven't been at the at the ganassi factory since i arrived just because firstly it's easy to spend time here everyone is wanting to achieve something every day but at the same time it's fun like it's I don't feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. Like it's very easy to to just be here every day and work away. Um, where in the past, you know, it's, it hasn't felt that easy to spend every day at the factory, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I feel like obviously I, it's early days, um, and we're obviously here to race. But from a social point of view, it's been it's been very good. Awesome. Well, just before we let you go, obviously we've got St. Pete coming up and street courses, you know, drivers either love them or hate them, I guess. Um, 
I remember seeing you in Macau and you took to that very quickly. You're looking forward to St. Peter's a street circuit and the, the I guess the challenge of street racing in America is maybe a little bit different to to what you might get in Europe or in some of the world championships, but um, a challenge nonetheless. So you're looking forward to that? Yes. I've always enjoyed street circuits. Uh, I've enjoyed the, the thrill and uh, that last lap of quality. That's always the highlight of my weekend, uh, whether it be Monaco, Baku, Macau, uh, you name it. I, um, I love the thrill of that last quality lap where you're just building your confidence up to that moment. Um, and I'd say that is one of the things I live for is that last lap, you know, and then the other part of it is the race distance, which is, I mean, Callum has told me, I think maybe seven times (laughs) how long that St. Pete race feels. So, um, Callum being the wise man that he is, uh, has, has suggested that I spend extra time in the gym leading up to that race. So I am, um, (laughs) But yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a learning curve for sure. Um, I'm gonna go in there with an open mind and and just try and get the most out of the car, get the most out of myself, and learn from my teammates who who I expect will be very very fast. So um, I'm in a very lucky position, and I just need to take advantage of it. Well. I'm definitely up for a, a crossover episode of, of your podcast and ours where we do some wine tasting and talk about IndyCar with JR and Clem. I think that's the next step for when you come back on the podcast the next time. What do you reckon? Yeah, sure, mate. Uh, we were talking yesterday about <laughs> some uh, American wines and uh, we've actually done a few Napa Valley wine tastings on our pod. Very nice. Um, but uh, as long as they're not English wines, I'm down for it. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'll take that on the chin. Marcus, best of luck with St. Pete and we'll definitely uh, speak to you in a few races time. Awesome, mate. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right, that was Marcus Armstrong. Nice to know he's a fan of the pod, JR, and uh, painstakingly explained in detail how great our podcast is, which is always nice. That's always welcome. <laughs> he can come back anytime he wants. <laughs> you, you can take your 20 bucks now, Marcus. <laughs> There's a brown envelope heading his way in uh, in St. Pete. But yeah, good to hear him talk about his background. Um, obviously, clear links with uh, Scott Dixon, having come from New Zealand and watched him growing up as a kid. Um, you know, a very obvious kind of lineage there between, you know, we've seen some of the drivers who've come over from Europe have kind of taken attention of, of IndyCar in the last three or four years while it's been as popular as it has been. And we've had more kind of, let's say European based drivers kind of coming over and, and giving in IndyCar a try, especially those ex F1 drivers like Roman Grosjean and Marcus Ericsson. But Marcus's interest in IndyCar goes a lot back a lot further. And um, that, that obviously there's obvious reasons for that in, in Scott Dixon. JR, I think uh, the, the bit that I, I, I've been kind of interested in the kind of not a talking point per se, but uh, a bit of a, I don't know, just speaking to Marcus and getting a vibe of how he feels after sort of pre-season testing and 
and what he feels about his teammates. And it definitely feels like, in terms of style at least, he's quite close to Alex Pillow or that's his like, you know, we've not had a season to go through the data at this point and we've not had a race weekend to work through things. But he, at least on the face of it, feels like he's most similar to Alex Pillow in, in terms of his style and, and his data based on what he's seen so far. So I guess the sky's a limit for him in that sense. We saw Alex Pillow come into Ganassi and obviously uh, win his first race there. So, um, but you've got to temper that expectation. And the thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is what do you think Marcus's challenges are going to be as a rookie? Just as you have done many seasons where you've maybe not done the full season, you've jumped in and out, you've done certain types of races or, or different types of schedules. Marcus is obviously doing that, um, doing that himself. And I kind of wondering how you feel about how that might play out because if he does have a really good St. Pete then he's got so long to wait until the the next race because of, there's a gap to Texas and then there's a gap after that to to Long Beach so as a rookie driver how difficult do you think that's going to be for him you know mentally to go through some of these kind of ups and downs where either he's going to have a you know potentially have a good race and then have to wait so long to get another chance to, to go again or have a bad race and be kind of pondering over that for so long before the next opportunity to kind of make that right yeah, I guess I think that, you know, it's it's one of the I, – I definitely understand guys coming in and not doing the ovals in their first season. But at the same time, kind of to your point, especially when you're racing for a team like Ganassi, those oval races often will – will there's kind of spots on the schedule where like you might show up and your stuff's just really good there. And that counts for a lot and and ends up being able to – really accelerate your learning curve of just getting used to a lot of the more general IndyCar kind of like customs and and the things, you know, the way that you're dealing with your team, the way you get from session to session, the way you get through the weekends, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, I can appreciate that that's not always, you know, everybody's kind of got their own, you know, pros and cons and kind of the way perspectives on how they look at those things. But, um, you know, I mean, shit, I would definitely, I'd, I'd want to be in a Ganassi car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this year. Like that, that definitely, <laughs> that seems like a missed opportunity kind of. So, I guess to your, to answer your question, I would say that it's it's going to be a bit choppy just in terms of the experience for a little while. And in terms of a sort of expectations, just because of the competitiveness of the series and you think about the way the quality, you know, there's a lot of cars on track now at all of these places. So you go to St. Pete, you're going to go to, you know, you, uh, there, there, there basically isn't a road course on the schedule that you aren't really pressed for time through all of the sessions makes it hard because you've got, you've got a tire warm up. You don't, you're, you're not coming from tire blankets off, go out, immediately rip the lap, come back in, do it all over again. It just ends up, it, it ends up meaning that regardless of on paper the length of the sessions relative to f2 or f1 or uh you know super formula or whatever else when you come here it just takes a lot of time to kind of get those get the one clear new tire run when you've got the tires in the window and you and there's not a red flag and there's not you know, you're not getting screwed up by another car on track that doesn't really know who you are and so they don't give you quite as much room as they might if they saw scott dixon coming in the review mirror or whatever and so I guess I I think that this is not a, a you know a, a prophecy of any kind for Marcus in particular. It's just kind of to say that it's sort of unlikely. I guess the odds are not in your favor as a rookie to execute at a high level every one of those times throughout the course of the year. And so if you're just doing a partial schedule, 
those are even more spaced out just in terms of the the times when you do end up executing properly and you get everything out of it and and you get that feeling of confidence from from the car and the track and you know that your team and the situation so you know like you sort of said it earlier it'll just end up depending for Marcus in particular it'll end up depending a little bit on how those first few weekends go and it may end up taking until the summer for him to have kind of a breakthrough moment where it all sort of clicks and and feels good and that that won't be representative or reflective of his talent or skill it's just kind of the nature of the beast in IndyCar these days when you've got a 27 car field on you know tracks that are like two miles or less you know it's just it's just kind of going to be how it is for everybody someone's going to write in now and immediately point this out as being absolute bull but I feel like it's been a while since we've had a driver doing a a schedule like this in a top team or or in a car that is defined as you know, in the top two. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to speak to Marcus at the end of the year and find out how that's kind of played out and, and what that actually means as a, as a rookie coming in to, to be put into that position because it feels like a, a fairly uncommon one. Anyway, St. Pete is where he's going to make his debut and we should talk about that next JR. Last year, we were all taken a little bit by surprise. I think there was some kind of grumblings that Chevrolet had made some some drivability upgrades in the off season and coming into St. Pete I think the the teams were aware, were aware of you know an upgrade but I don't think any of them expected well I know uh, that they didn't expect it to be quite as powerful as it was going to be and that St. Pete was a a really nice surprise for those Chevrolet teams and a really horrible surprise for those Honda teams but I think just to set the scene a little bit for for St. Pete you know that was after 4 years of Honda winning the Manufacturers Championship in IndyCar, and then you know, in the tenth year of this engine being used, one of the manufacturers ma- managed to bring an upgrade that totally flipped everything on its head, and they won eleven out of the seventeen races that season. So, I think without trying to undo this podcast preview in St. Pete, we can say for sure that there is going to be a little bit of uncertainty. We're not one hundred percent sure who's going to come out of the blocks and and be an instant force to be reckoned with. We know Honda have been working extremely hard in the off seasons to try and recoup some of that ground in an area where arguably they were, you know, pretty, it was one of their strengths basically in, in previous years was their, you know, the drivability and what they were able to give to the drivers in terms of customization and, and stuff like that. And Chevrolet have definitely obviously stepped things up. We've seen from the, the results last year, I guess, do you still expect Penske to come out fighting and, and be leading the way in, in St. Pete here, or do you have any sort of gut feeling or knowledge as uh, as opposed to you know one of the other teams popping out here and giving us a bit of a surprise yeah i think i would say my my expectation probably is that or what i what i'm guessing will happen is that penske all three cars will be super competitive i mean one of the one of the talking points certainly just in a more general sense for this year is joseph newgarden and another new engineer but an engineer that he did work with last year on the timing stand you know, I know that he's excited about, I know he feels better about it coming into this year than he did last year. And, and I think feels like a little bit of that weight is no longer, you know, on his shoulders. So it was just so last minute last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was very last minute. Um, it was, it was all, it all, I think just kind of, it is, this is not with any, you know, really explicit knowledge about the whole situation, but I, it just felt, felt kind of rushed and yeah. You know, maybe not everybody was like 100% on the same page in terms of what what was the right call to make and and whatever. And so, 
regardless of, of all, I mean, they had incredible success last year, right? But it was kind of feast or famine. And, and, you know, we talked to Joseph throughout, throughout the season at different, at different intervals. And it just felt, felt like it was a lot of work, you know, compared to, compared to what it is, uh, you know, in, in a more regular situation for him in particular. So, I think, you know, last year, if we look back at the race last year at St. Pete, he was not as much of a factor as you would have expected him to be otherwise, given the pace the team had. Will was Will was right there. Scott was on pole. I think they ended up, they locked out the front row, I think. So, I, I expect those guys to be back on it. To your point about Chevy, I mean, I, I remember texting Rob Buckner, the IndyCar, you know, manager for Chevrolet, like, during the weekend last year, just saying if if drivability had been my drinking word that weekend, I would have been <laughs> hammered like halfway through the weekend because it was just every Chevy guy, every interview. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the they've definitely made a step. I think on the Chevy side, just while we're on it, the Aero McLaren guys were really underwhelming last year at at St. Pete. So now with their kind of revamped program, do they turn that around and get more more in the picture? Because it's also not terribly uncommon over the years that even just on the sh- in the Chevy camp that Penske is the one that really manages to execute you know that make the most out of whatever gains are there and that doesn't always mean that all of the Chevy cars are are right there so um that was a little bit the case last year even even with this evident upgrade in in drivability like i was kind of sitting there thinking like well maybe Penske also just made a big step here and that's that's a part of their street course package is getting better and and it all kind of happens to go in flow with whatever Chevy's bringing. So, you know, that's, that's I guess, kind of the status quo after last year. Um, the big question for me is where Andretti ends up. Colton was really fast there last year. Roma was, I think, just outside the top six maybe or it was just inside the top six in qualifying. So, if, if they roll out and they're really quick this year, I guess that's not necessarily saying anything in particular relative to where they're at. We've seen them at the top of the sheets more often than not in preseason testing. So, I'm anxious to find out, you know, are they really back on form legitimately based on kind of what we've seen? We've seen some indicate in indications that that may be the case. Does that actually play out over the course of the season and do they have a more complete complete package, a more complete year? Does that put Colton and or Roma like really genuinely into title contention. Um, what does that look like? St. Pete may not tell the tale of that, but it will definitely be, I think just just how close together that whole group, inclusive of particularly Pagano at Meyer Shank, like, you know, do we see all of those cars consistently up in the top 10 or 12 throughout practice and qualifying? That would be different than how it looked last year. So, those to me are kind of the, you, you've always got Ganassi You've always got, you know, those those cars are always going to be kind of in the mix at this place. I think it's going to be more more a question for me of do you end up seeing some of those cars like well outside the top 10 and and that being an indication that maybe they, you know, they've got some work to do if it's not going to surprise me to see Scott Dixon or Alex Pillow or Marcus Erickson or or even Marcus Armstrong necessarily like up inside the top 10, but I guess for me, they're they're a little bit less of a storyline because they've showcased year after year that they can they can kind of show up to a place like St. Pete, not be great, and have that not necessarily be that telling about their performance over the course of the rest of the season. So um, to me, it's not it's not as big of a deal, basically, whether or not they 
they show up and execute at a super high level. Yeah. Grosjean was uh, was fifth in qualifying last year, I remember, and Herta was third. So yeah, okay. definitely a, a track they, you know, have historically been been good on for sure. And obviously Roman had that incident with Takuma Sato in practice, which kind of slowed his whole kind of weekend down and qualifying was a nice resurgent thing for him. I, I think I, I wanted to kind of raise the point you mentioned on McLaren because it, it's kind of weird where it feels like St. Pete's one of the tracks where they've managed to somehow go backwards, perhaps. Um, I think the, the the big problem last year was that I think Pato probably would have progressed in qualifying if he hadn't just clipped the wall, um, which would have potentially changed it changed his weekend completely and it was just a yeah right a small error and you know when you watch some of quali- Pato's qualifying laps you kind of like have to I feel like you have to build in like a kind of one percent like all right so for every pole that he's bagging you that you know the uh, another driver in that car is gonna gonna be like at the back end of the top 10 or something you have to allow him like a little uh, nudge on the wall or something and obviously it happens quite regularly at St. Pete's one of, one of those things that happened but Pato was second in in 2020 at St. Pete and since then it feels like things have gone backward a little bit so it'll be interesting to see how they how they come out and and have a go at that one we've spoken about them quite a few times in previous podcasts definitely if you're gearing up for St. Pete this weekend go back and listen to, to some of our preview podcasts including some of the stories to watch for for this season McLaren are definitely one of them with 40 staff coming in which is absolutely crazy for anyone who either worked in IndyCar or is like familiar with the staffing situation and how difficult it is to bring people in. And then McLaren just kind of like totally move the goalposts for everyone and bring in 40 people, which is absolutely incredible. So that'll definitely be one of the big talking points of the season alongside Penske and the 500 where McLaren and Ed Carpenter have kind of established themselves ahead of Penske, which is a, feels like a very weird situation to be in. And it'll be interesting to see if that changes for this year. But before we start running away with ourselves and head into the Indy 500, JR, we'll call it there. Hopefully everyone's excited after this episode for St. Pete coming up. And the next time we'll speak to you will be after the St. Petersburg race, where we'll have all of the action rounded up, analysed, and maybe even some special guests thrown in the mix. We'll have to see. We've got a big gap between St. Pete and Texas. So if you don't have a guest joining us after the St. Pete race, we'll definitely have one in the gap between St. Pete and Texas. So that's all for this episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. We'll be back soon. The Athletic.